Hello and welcome back to The Long Short. Well, 2023 was another extraordinary year for the crypto assets industry. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies made a remarkable recovery from the 2022 Annus Horribilis. The price of Bitcoin ending the year up over 150%, while other cryptocurrencies surged in value. It really was an incredible end to the year. And I mean, we couldn't take our eyes off the screens, could we? But uh, 2023 was also a transformative year in the regulatory space as policymakers reacted to the events involving Binance and FTX with really a tidal wave of tighter crypto asset regulation led by the new regulatory framework in the EU. But of course, similar frameworks are in place in the US and APAC. Yeah, and joining us today to reflect on the past year for crypto assets and a look ahead to what is in store for this year for the industry is Henry Arslanian. Of course, Henry will need no introduction to regular listeners, but for anyone who doesn't know, he is the co-founder and managing partner of crypto hedge fund Nine Blocks Capital, as well as being the author of several finance books, including his most recent, The Book of Crypto. And others, of course, will no doubt recognize him from his Future of Money podcast, a weekly video update and I must watch on all things impacting the crypto industry. Henry, you are very welcome back to The Long Short. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And congratulations, by the way, for all the success of the show. I've been listening to some of your past episodes and great content you guys are putting together. So thank you for your contribution to the hedge fund community with this via this podcast. Hey, you're too kind, Henry. And for the few of us out there who do not know who you are, um, it'd be great to have you uh, give a little introduction as to what you do and how you ended up operating in the digital asset space. Of course, happy to do so. Uh, well, really, my my passion and, and my focus in life is the future of money and the future of finance. And the way I do it now is uh, I'm the co-founder of Nine Blocks Capital Management, uh, which is we are a regulated institutional grade uh, digital asset manager. We have over a hundred million dollar in assets. Uh, we run a market neutral uh, fund, uh, crypto hedge fund, uh, the first one to be regulated in Dubai. And uh, the idea behind was really to uh, set up, uh, you know, build an institutional grade hedge fund the way we're all the type tier one hedge funds we all know, but in a digital asset space. Uh, it took us obviously two to three times more time than we expected, two to three times more money than we expected, uh, but but uh, but we're there. I've been in crypto personally since 2014. Uh, I'm a hedge fund lawyer by background. I was in prime brokerage for many years at UBS in Hong Kong, where I was in the cap intro and business consulting team uh, before going full-time in crypto. And actually. Actually, I uh, launched the PwC crypto team in uh, 2016, uh, with, uh, which grew basically to a team in over 25 countries and uh, 400 people, which actually was, was a pleasure partnering with AMI every year for our crypto hedge fund report, uh, which has become now one of the most uh, popular reports, in P not only at AMI, but also at PwC. Uh, so really focused at basically bridging the gap between the hedge fund industry and the digital assets industry. And this is what I do literally, literally 24-7. We really enjoy that report, and thanks for um, pioneering that effort, um, Henry. Well, it's always timely, but this year's report, as for reasons I'm sure we'll go into, will be um, particularly interesting, I think, in the findings. But Henry, as uh, long-term listeners of the podcast will know, we've we've spoken to you a couple of times in the past, and you've always been uh, very generous with your time and, and, and helping guide us through it, but it might as well be a million years in crypto years. So could you just help us bring us up to speed on, on the sort of the story so far when it comes to uh, the significant developments of, of even just the last year? Because we really do seem to be in a different paradigm than if we were speaking only a few months ago. Oh, absolutely, Drew. I mean, the, the crypto ecosystem, uh, you know, I always say if you want to enjoy your weekend, spend time with your kids, go on vacation, uh, you should not get into crypto. This industry is generally 24-7 and a week in the crypto space is like uh, seven weeks in a normal world. Uh, and 2023 was another example of one of these crazy years. I mean, you got to understand about a year ago, uh, this, a year ago this time, you know, we were just recovering from FTX. It was very negative market sentiment. Uh, pretty much every politician was against crypto. Uh, frankly, if you're a policymaker or a politician, 
you'd be an idiot not to be against crypto. It was one of a few uh, things that everybody agreed on. And it was actually pretty lonely months, I have to say, in the industry. Uh, many crypto companies closed down. Many crypto funds, actually. This is why I think you mentioned, Drew, the report will be very interesting for this year. Uh, many, many funds closed down as well. But the reality is throughout the year, a lot of people continued building. It was very lonely days, very lonely weekends. Uh, but the industry really continued to build. And we really saw a shift in Q4 of 2023, uh, where, uh, you know, number of things happened. Uh, one of them, I think uh, we've seen over the last couple of years, a lot of basically cleanup of some of the bad actors in the space. Uh, but then also you had some of the catalysts people were waiting for. You know, for example, uh, you really had the the, the the Binance settlement that took place, uh, you know, one of the biggest settlement in financial history for over $4 billion that at least provided clarity to the space with the biggest crypto exchange. Uh, FTX, you know, uh, you know, for the FTX claims are trading at over 60 cents. Uh, many believe now the recovery will be over 90, 95 cents, if not par at the FTX recovery side. So at least there was some clarity on that. <laughs> in addition to Sam Bankman-Fried going uh, very likely to jail in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but also, I think there was overall the macro side, a lot of more regulatory clarity. Uh, in numerous regulators over the last 12 months provided regulatory clarity, set up the standards that industry players, the best actors, the good actors wanted to comply with. And all this provided kind of, I would say, at the institution level, kind of a, a clarity. At the same time, though, and which is often we, we forget, you know, when we're living in New York, we're living in London, you know, or Hong Kong, where we have, you know, governments we trust, central banks that we respect, uh, the grassroots adoption of crypto really continued growing. Uh, for example, you know, one interesting fact, you know, when most people trade crypto in the US, for them often it's a speculative asset, it's just another asset class. Uh, but for many parts of the world, the crypto is being used on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's something we forget. For example, according to Chain Analysis, uh, the a report that was published recently, the top three countries now for crypto adoption are one, India, second, Nigeria, and third, Vietnam. And you see, you see there's a lot of people using it. Uh, for example, if you talk right now to anybody who's doing international trade, let's say with Latin America, you'd be surprised of how much of the trade is actually settling using stablecoins. Uh, even where I'm based right now in Dubai, uh, if you go to countries like Turkey, uh, pretty much a lot of the activity now is happening using stablecoins. Same thing in Argentina, for example. Uh, so the day-to-day -day usage of crypto, uh, you know, not only as a means of payment, as a store of value, as a unit of account, uh, has been, you know, the grassroots adoption has increased a lot. So I would say these two things happen at the same time. The grassroots adoption that I just described, while at the same time, a cleanup and a kind of a more institutionalization of the industry. And this together makes a one plus one equal three relationship. And that's one of the big changes we saw in the last year. And Henry, just to dive a little bit more into what happened over the past 12 months, you, you alluded to it. 2022 was an Annus Horribilis. We had you on the show this time last year and you reflected yeah. on that. So, And you've mentioned um, some of the milestones along the way namely FTX. And then we had then last year Binance. And it's clear to say that the industry still has got a lot to do in terms of um, cleaning itself up. And we'll go into regulation and what may happen this year later in the show. But, but in terms of the recovery of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular, that had a stellar year, right? Can <laughs> you um, Can you Tell our listeners to what extent that stellar year meant that those people who were invested in crypto at the beginning of 2022 have recouped their losses and made some more. Um, how has how has it stacked up 2023 versus 2022? Um, maybe you could um, allude a little bit more about that. Of course. I mean, uh, the, the, I think, Tom, you're absolutely correct. If you look, unfortunately, crypto doesn't get the media attention it deserves. And people obviously talk like to talk about the negative stuff that happens, like FTX collapse and settlements. Uh, but when it comes to the price of these cryptocurrencies, uh, without giving investment advice, uh, but there's been obviously a lot of, uh, uh, really, it's been a stellar year, 2023, for crypto. I mean, to put things in perspective, Tom, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, Bitcoin was trading just above 15000 around $17,000. Uh, and as we're recording this, it's over $47,000. I mean, last year, Bitcoin uh, went up over 150%. 
I know total crypto market cap is over 1.5 trillion. Uh, so it's really the asset class as a whole. Uh, there's definitely was a lot of, uh, you know, for anybody who has invested at the beginning of the year, uh, that was actually pretty good year. And that's actually only with Bitcoin. If you talk that some of the other uh, altcoins that took place, uh, Solana and others, I mean, there was a significantly more. Solana, for example, is up over 500% uh, in 2023. And this actually is something we've seen over the year of a lot of these assets actually they've had a pretty good year and not only that i would say even on some of the other strategies like market neutral strategies uh, like our fund for example because there's more liquidity there was more volatility i think for a lot of the strategies in the industry uh they had a pretty good year so the problem with crypto unfortunately is often people focus on the headlines uh, the negative headlines uh, and actually forget some of the real activity that is taking place behind the scenes, uh, you know, not only with the asset class, but also a lot of the development, the building going on, and the cleanup that has taken place. Uh, one thing, Tom, you mentioned, the industry has a lot of cleaning up to do. Um, I would mention that, by and large, uh, the progress that the crypto industry has made in the last 12 months is remarkable. You know, I was, you know, I don't know if I say fortunate or unfortunate to see the 2008 crisis. Uh, at a time, I was in prime brokerage. I was a hedge fund lawyer. I could see how the banks tried to come up with these mechanisms of bankruptcy, remote structures, counterparty risk mitigation tools. Uh, the crypto industry did what Tratify did in two, three years, did it in three months. The level of transparency, for example, now you get as a buy side counterparty from your sell side counterparties in crypto, which are the crypto exchanges, is day and night. Uh, took what it was pre-FTX. So I think the industry actually came a very long way, not only on the, you know, on across across the the, 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 the street on everything that's been taking place, which is why I think I remain very bullish in 2024 because of these changes that took place in the last year. And long short listeners that would have tuned in and, and heard what you had to say last year, you'll recall that uh, you hinted at Solana being the cryptocurrency to watch over 2023 so yeah um big up to you on that one henry yeah <laughs> i mean the, the thing is i have no particular uh you know for full disclosure obviously we're a fund we, we trade many of these assets and personally we hold many of them as well but i think the um it, it's very it's very difficult to be in crypto you know i'll give you a very simple example uh if you uh, my mom called me yesterday from montreal canada because she watches documentary on netflix called bitcoin it's basically a bunch of criminals, uh, old school crooks. It just happens they're using crypto. And my mom's reaction was, do you know these people, are people you work with? Of course I don't, right? But you know, there's a sentiment that uh, if anybody that doesn't follow the industry, the first impression you get is, of course, it's all the charlatans, the bad apples. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, it takes effort. You need to take a proactive stance to go against this and to look at it and try to look behind these headlines. And not only this, this applies to my mom, uh, which is a great lady, but I mean, she, you know, this, this is her feeling, but same applies for institutional allocators, for institutional investors. Uh, last year, if, I mean, anybody who was in a, in, you, if you went to the investment committee of a serious allocator with a crypto idea, I mean, it would be career suicide. Right, and I ironically would have made great returns, but because of the perception of it, the career risk, it's very difficult for any institutional investor to look at crypto. Uh, this is something we're seeing changing right now, by the way. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I think again we're going to see probably FOMO over the next couple of months when it comes to crypto uh, exposure, and we may see some of the same mistakes that we saw in the previous years with FOMO coming kicking in, the fear of missing out and people making investments, uh, maybe not the wrong valuation, but let's say more because of fear of missing out than real proper uh, fundamental analysis. And we'll get into your top 10 uh, 2024 predictions later in the show. Um, but uh, not, not a nice plug for that one too, Henry. So Henry, just sticking with this, this sentiment point for a, a moment longer, something I really wanted to ask you, in, in, in researching for this episode, I just glanced at a couple of the major tokens and just maybe using Solana as, a, as the same example, a couple of, couple of dollars at the beginning of the year, sort of maybe $20 in January peaked on Christmas Day, in fact, make of that what you will, uh, 120, now at 100. Obviously, a huge amount of people buying in in the later half of the year. But where what I'm struggling to understand is this sort of where this takes us from sort of a fundamental point of view, because at some point, there must be a point where people will uh, take revenue or they must see Solana or any particular coin as having 
that that is the price that it should be. But overall, it seems to be that any price is a good price because it's only going to go up, or at least because we are still below all-time highs on on some of the major coins, maybe less so Solana, but it's, uh, definitely Bitcoin and, and ETH. So just if, if you're someone either on the retail or on the institutional side, how do you look at these charts over time or how do you sort of value this stuff? And at what point do you go, okay, I've made five times my money or doubled my money or whatever it might be, which for any traditional asset might be a great trade. But even this, you're sort of like, well, only 10 times, it might be 20 in another year, or it might be five. How, how do you, when you're speaking to people or trying to bring them around to this um, new asset class, where do you begin with that conversation? Yeah. No, it's a good question. And one that I ask a lot from people, obviously, you know, it's my indicator of where we are in crypto markets. It's a number of people who reach out to me on LinkedIn saying, hey, Henry, long time no speak. You know, I'm thinking about crypto. What do you recommend? Uh, and actually, it's interesting. This week alone, I got three such messages, right? So for me, that's always a good indicator. I can tell you in the first half of 2023, nobody was messaging me on that. Uh, so it's it's a very good indicator of, of uh, this uh, this LinkedIn messaging bar barometer, if you want. Uh, I think there's two ways of looking at it. And um, I think that one of them, obviously, it's on the retail side, and one of them is on the institutional side, right? Um, on the institutional side, uh, there's obviously, uh, I think what people often underestimate uh, it's obviously people know about Bitcoin and there's only 21 million Bitcoin and I know how, how you look at it and maybe they hear about Ethereum. Uh, what people often underestimate is, I would say in the top 20 coins you see, I mean, you mentioned Solana, but there's so many other from Cardano, Chainlink, and the list goes on and on. Uh, there are genuine communities around these assets. Uh, for example, uh, if you go, I don't know, Cardano, for example, you can go, they had a big gathering in Dubai here a couple of weeks ago. And it's really remarkable to see there's literally thousands of people come in and they're really building around these ecosystems. And these a lot of these communities have done a great job in doing grants, creating the sense of belonging. I mean, to the point now that I, you can meet fund managers who invest only in Solana. They invest only in Cardano. So there's been a obviously level of specialty and a lot of actual activity that has taken place uh, despite the bear market. Uh, one thing that often comes to surprise when I speak to investors is that even in 2023, in the, in the, the bottom of the bear market, you would go to some of these crypto conferences where it's full of developers and you would think you're completely in a bull market. People are building, people are optimistic about the future. There's genuine innovation going on. So I think there's a lot of activity that takes place at these different token levels, which is not something that obviously doesn't get coverage in mass media or in the financial media either. Um, but I think that's that's one thing for uh, a lot of institutional investors. They often do not realize some of the activity that takes place at these uh, at these levels. Uh, the, the other thing is also when it comes to fund offerings today, if you're sitting in the IC of a pension fund, of endowment, a family office, there are now, unlike two, three years ago, various ways to get exposure to the asset class. Uh, whether it's hopefully ETF soon will come out for Bitcoin. Uh, there's numerous passive products that are offered on private placement. There's numerous crypto hedge funds that are offered basically much different, across different strategies. So there's different ways to getting uh, that exposure. But the fundamental common denominator, I think, for any institutional investor is education. You know, I tell everybody, I don't care if you, you may like Bitcoin, you may hate Bitcoin. You may, be, you may believe in crypto, you may believe it's the biggest scams and it's this vaporware, but you have this intellectual, and I would even argue in many cases for allocators, a fiduciary duty to at least understand it. You know, understand how it works, understand how the asset class operates, understand even the basics of the ecosystem, and then you can make a view uh, on it. Uh, and the same thing, by the way, the, and the, especially when it comes to retail, you know, I've been teaching crypto since 2015. I just spent actually two weeks in Hong Kong where I was teaching 100 students in my crypto course. I have online courses on Udemy. I have my book. And obviously, um, I have a big social media following where I share a lot of educational videos. I think it's never been easier to learn about crypto. And I think one great way uh, to learn is actually as an individual just buying a bit of crypto, you know, buy a bit of Bitcoin, buy Ethereum, a bit of other assets, and then try to transfer it to your wife, to your girlfriend, to your kids. And then when you start using them and you start realizing the benefits of it, I think that's often the best way to learn. You know, when I talk with some institutional allocators, the first thing I recommend them is, you know what, go, why don't you buy for 20 bucks of Bitcoin and then send it to your kids and often ask your kids because often what they find out is their kids are really into crypto. They didn't know about it. Um, and I think that's often the best way to learn about it. And be, and that gets you the, it's uh, into the, maybe in the rabbit hole, but definitely helps you get more uh, experience, practical knowledge of how cryptocurrencies operate. So if I'm just understanding you correctly, then 
is you seem to be saying when you're talking about the all the building that that's going on and and some of it being under the surface or maybe at least not highlighted as much as it could be that we are still in some ways early days in this asset class i mean some people sort of point to the fact that it's been around for several years now and um we know whether it can still be considered emerging or not but you seem to be implying that there's still a lot of that sort of early days pioneering building going on a hundred percent i think there's a lot of early days i mean again to put things in perspective uh, this year i mean in, in october we celebrated the 15th anniversary of the bitcoin white paper and in january 2024 we celebrated the 15th anniversary of the first block that was mined uh, from by satoshi so in 2009 in january 2009 so there's obviously a lot of 2009 so there's been obviously a lot of the uh it's still a very recent asset class what i would say though is that a lot of the building blocks, the building of the ecosystem has happened way quicker than I think many of us expected it. I mean, to put things in perspective, I rem remember vividly around 2019, 20, there was not even, there were no, let's say, uh, institutional grade custodians, for example. Right? It was very difficult if you're launching crypto product to get a, a custodian that had their SOC 1, their SOC 2, their big for audit, their different certifications, and so on and so forth. And now I would argue uh, there's there, there are more uh, tier one custodians, there's actually tier one clients who, who, who want to pay the fees for it. So the industry has really improved dramatically over the last couple of years. However, we, there's still a lot of work to be done. I'll give you a very simple example, especially in the boring areas. Uh, today, for example, I believe the industry, uh, let's look at something boring as, I don't know, boring, maybe it's not the right term, but let's say fund administration, for example. Right. Uh, sorry for our fund administration colleagues, but what I mean is, is something that is very commoditized now in the traditional finance space, in the hedge fund space. Uh, when it comes to crypto, the, there's a tremendous need for uh, fund administration. Right now, the market is pretty much controlled by two fund admins that dominate the, the space. Uh, and there's a tremendous need for new players to come in. Uh, when it comes to EMS, OMS players, if you're looking at, at Tratify, there's tons of EMS, OMS, PMS providers in crypto. A handful. Uh, same thing goes for risk, same thing goes for compliance, and the list goes on and on. So I think that uh, while the asset class is very new, in certain verticals, we've seen tremendous progress, uh, but still there's a lot of opportunities for the existing players in the hedge fund industry to come and service the existing players when it comes to some of these things that we take for granted in the traditional hedge fund space. Back by popular demand, Amos Spotlight returns this March in London. The highly anticipated afternoon event will take place in the iconic Waldorf Hilton on Wednesday, the 13th of March, 2024, with a spotlight on Multiverse's single strategy managers. Following the welcome keynote, there will be a lively debate from panelists on the benefits and nuances of obtaining hedge fund exposure via an allocation to a multi or single asset manager. Cap off the afternoon with a cocktail reception in the Waldorf's elegant Palm Court. Don't miss this unparalleled opportunity to connect, learn, and experience the best of the hedge fund world. Register now to secure your place at Spotlight 2024 and be part of an event that promises to enlighten and connect. Learn more at ama.org and we hope to see you there. Henry, let's just shift gears a minute and, and think about um, and reflect on some of the challenges for the industry and maybe perhaps opportunities as well. Um, several jurisdictions are making clear their intentions to be world leaders in digital assets. Um, you mentioned, you were kind of to mention uh, the crypto hedge fund report that AMA does with PwC. Our annual report last year found that one in four traditional hedge funds are reassessing their crypto strategy due to the regulatory environment in the US. How did the uh, changes in 2023 when it comes to the regulatory changes, that is, impact the global crypto market? Yeah, so regulatory, uh, you know, uh, the regulatory challenges and the, I would even add the reputational challenges uh, were obviously a big factor for a lot of, especially the bigger hedge funds, to stay away from crypto. And, and understandably so, if you know why kill the golden goose, uh, and get into crypto, well, that, that may rattle uh, and may, may may piss off some of your big allocators and big investors. Uh, and that's something I think that's expected and it's very understandable uh, as well. I think what we have seen a couple of things in the past year. Obviously, like I mentioned, one was the, the clarity on the FTX uh, bankruptcy recovery. 
Uh, the other one was what was happening with Binance, a settlement that gave a lot of comfort to the industry. And also there's been a lot of interest now from institutional investors because of some catalysts that are coming up. Yeah. One is the Bitcoin ETF. Obviously a lot of excitement yeah. around this. We're seeing the activity around it. Uh, second is also the macro environment, you know, with uh, uh, stop of rate hikes and, and the likes. The micro, macro environment is obviously uh, positive generally uh, for uh, crypto. But and the third element is exactly what you mentioned, Tom, is regulatory clarity. Uh, it's been really remarkable because I think one of the other big misconceptions by a lot of uh, allocators in the space is that crypto industry doesn't want rules. They want to be degens. They want to be on the sidelines, which is couldn't be further from the truth. I can tell you in the crypto industry, many players want regulations. I, I find it incredible. The crypto industry is the only industry that, you know, one of the few industries that lobbies for more regulations, not because to keep players out, but actually to have a level playing field where players can, can operate. Um, and I think so based on these factors, now we have, uh, for example, where I sit now in Dubai, there's a, the world's first crypto specific regulator uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, which is a different conversation. I mean, uh, I just heard recently that the VARA, the crypto regulator has over 850 applications. Yeah. I mean, forget 50%. If 10% of those go through, uh, it becomes the biggest crypto hub by multiple of three or four X. You know, so crypto regulatory clarity is something the industry has been asking for. Now, uh, what when it comes to your the, the, the stat you just gave, Tom, on um, a lot of the institutional hedge funds staying away from crypto, I think that's going to change this year. Uh, for and it's a regular FOMO uh, cycle. What what I think I expect to see is many of these large hedge funds will either gonna invest in established hedge funds by a GP stake uh, or try to partner with some of them or we'll look at launching their own their own teams internally a typical uh, buy or build or partner uh, strategy the problem that they're going to find a lot is actually it's difficult to build a crypto hedge fund in the business at an institution level you know um Unlike if you're doing it a traditional hedge fund where you have your prime brokers, you select your prime brokers, everything is pretty steady. You can easily get a bank account. Your counterparties are pretty steady. You know, whereas in crypto, it's the exact opposite. I mean, in crypto, one of the biggest challenges we have right now is keeping a bank account. Uh, you know, uh, which is still a very big challenge is counterparties. Every single month you have to onboard new counterparties because of the regular challenges that take place. It's a 24-7 business. You know, there's always these things that pop up. So I think there's a lot of these challenges, unfortunately, uh, will, 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 will pop up. Uh, but I think for, I would expect if I was a batting man, uh, this 25% number that you saw will will significantly go down next year because of the reasons I mentioned, in particular, uh, clarity on FTX, Binance, and regulatory clarity that we are seeing. Just before we jump fully into the uh, the outlook for 2024 and beyond, the, the final thing I wanted to bring up with you is the quite interesting phenomenon, because you know, you, you've mentioned cycles a few times there, but one thing that doesn't seem to have uh, come back up with the recent surge is NFTs. So I just quit Googling and you see that, you know, Board Ape, Yacht Club, you know, it's not zero, but it's not it's not on the same trajectory as some of the other major coins that we've mentioned. So could you just help me understand and our listeners understand sort of what's going on here and, and, and why have NFTs become uncoupled from some of the other interests? You know, you talked about this sort of FOMO cycle. So in theory, they should have come up a bit. And maybe is there something to do with the flaws in the, the technology or, or are NFTs a bit of a, a flash in the pan? Yeah, sure. So so with, with non-fungible tokens, there's obviously a massive boom uh, over the last, not the last year, but previously, there was a lot of it. And some of these NFTs really skyrocketed. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of these NFTs, uh, but the, a lot of them obviously have lost a lot of value. I think there's a couple of things to understand with the NFT market. One of them, uh, there's obviously, it's a very speculative market. Uh, the liquidity is not like, you know, when you're trading Bitcoin, there's billions being traded every day, uh, which obviously is not the case with NFTs. Liquidity is not there. And often there's obviously only, uh, I would say that the universe of individuals trading NFTs is significantly smaller than the universe of people using digital assets on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and uh, unlike cryptocurrencies, like stable coins, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, are being used in people in Argentina, across Africa, Turkey, other parts of the world on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, same thing for Bitcoin. You know, People are using it on other cryptocurrencies, using it, genuinely using the applications. For NFTs, it was more of collecting, it was speculation and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think the interesting thing, I don't think there's any flaw with technology, actually. I would say the NFT technology, the NFTs uh, and the smart contracts behind uh, provide genuine innovation to the space. What I'm watching for NFTs is actually not 
collections or speculations uh, for the next uh, couple of months and years is actually the use cases we may see of NFTs in real life applications. Let me give you a very simple example. Uh, today, if let's say you're applying for a new job, uh, often they want they need your university diploma. You have to go get it certified through copy. You have to call university, get a copy, get it certified from a lawyer. Same thing if you are, you need to give somebody a passport copy uh, or a copy of a driver's license. The entire process is completely outdated. I'm a firm believer that in really in the short to medium, not maybe not short term, but medium term, university diplomas will be become NFTs, your, your passport, your driver's license, all these legal documentation, your, your marriage certificate will be become also in, in an NFT format that you could easily be able to prove its authenticity and be able to use it. Um, and, and then also it goes into the whole B2C market, concert tickets, uh, you know, uh, 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 luxury goods and, and the likes that you buy. So when it comes to NFT, I'm, I'm not bullish when it comes to uh, collections of NFTs. I mean, there's obviously some of the collections like the, the punks and the boarding up, you know, that were there. Uh, there are more, let's say, they have unique features that make them maybe more valuable. Uh, but I would say a big chunk of the NFT market uh, has lost value. Admit from big chunk of it, I don't expect it to re recover its value. However, what I think is going to be very interesting with NFTs is uh, are some of the the real life applications, and that may happen faster than we think. We're seeing it right now already with sports tickets. We're seeing it with concerts. We're seeing it with other day to day goods, and I think that's the thing that's going to happen. And and it's it's not as flashy as you know. Uh, let's say board ape a board ape collection uh, but this actually has a lot of tangible benefits from that perspective now henry followers of your show the future money will have seen that you put out your top 10 predictions for crypto in 2024 um it'd be great for you to uh inform our listeners as to what those predictions are but could i start with the news and we talked about it a little bit but the news that the long awaited spot etf for bitcoin um, it appears that, uh, you know, the race is gathering a pace there around that in terms of regulatory approval. Um, and it may be even at the time that this uh, show goes out um, that we will have heard news about that. But what can you tell our listeners? How can you update them in terms of uh, what's happening there? And to the extent that this could be a real game changer for the industry at large, bringing in a new wave of investors. Absolutely. I think there's been a lot of, uh, I think, first of all, I think the there's been, there are right now uh, uh, Bitcoin ETFs in the US, but these are uh, cash settled. So the underlyings are CME futures. Uh, there are some uh, physical Bitcoin ETFs, for example, in Canada uh, that have been listed. But it's obviously what everybody's expecting is to see when we'll have the approval of a physical Bitcoin ETF uh, in the US. Uh, I think now the market consensus is going to happen pretty much any day. Like you said, by the time the show goes out, it may be approved. There's been a lot of indications that this is very imminent. Um, and obviously, this is a game changer because uh, for a lot of even for a lot of institutional allocators and uh, the mass market, um, as you know, uh, having a, a U.S. listed physical Bitcoin ETF is a game changer, not only because now investment advisors and the likes can actually have a product to sell. Uh, but but also allows people to get exposure in a very easy way. Uh, for example, it's very interesting when, even as a fund manager, when I would talk to a lot of uh, advisors in the space, whether they're private bankers or, or general, you know, typical, typical US 401k advisor, if there's no product, they don't have a product to sell, they're not incentivized to talk about something. Right, because there's no way for them to make money out of it, and I think this is this could be a big game changer. Uh, you know, not only in the short term, there will there'll be a lot of excitement and media coverage, but I think definitely on the medium and long term, we really can bring a lot of uh, uh, capital to the asset class. Let's not forget that this obviously the ETF approval is a big catalyst, but also that in Q, uh, Q2 of the, uh, second, the second quarter of this year, uh, probably around the end of April, uh, early May, we're going to have the Bitcoin halving. So right yeah. now, every 10 minutes, we have 6.25 Bitcoin that are created, and that's going to be cut in half, uh, you know, when the halving takes place. Uh, so it's interesting. Last time the halving took place, we were in the middle of COVID. We were all uh, stuck in our apartments. Uh, and now, obviously, it's four years later, and this is happening. And uh, this is really a big catalyst, I think, that's going to bring more attention. In addition to everything that we discussed in the show, from the custodians, institutional players, regulatory clarity. So I remain, I remain very optimistic uh, for the year ahead. Uh, you know, I've been in crypto, like I mentioned before, since, um, you know, I organized my first Bitcoin event in January 2014. And I've seen these cycles over and over. 
And I, I remain very optimistic for the year ahead. And I think it's going to be another year where crypto, there'll be FOMO. Uh, everybody will want to talk about Bitcoin and the type of messages I was getting on LinkedIn about, hey, Henry, the long time no speak. I'm thinking about crypto. I have the feeling that I'll get more and more of these messages as well over the next couple of weeks and months. So go on, Henry, indulge us. You've talked about FOMO. You've talked about the spot ETF. What are your other predictions? Yeah, so I think the, for the institutional side, uh, I expect to see really uh, more institutional allocators investing in the space. Uh, the way it's, 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 I think the, I expect it to happen is exactly what we saw in other cycles. Uh, for a lot of these big institutional investors, they'll start with some VC allocations. You know, venture capital allocations, they're longer horizons. Assets are not marked to market. There's less career risk. So I think for a lot of big players, a VC route is often the easy route. But obviously, then we think we'll, we should expect to see more allocations to crypto uh, funds and crypto fund the funds, actually, uh, as, a, as a way for a lot of these big institutional investors uh, to get uh, exposure. Uh, but also, I think I'm expecting to see a lot of activity in the broader infrastructure. It's interesting, you know, uh, Tom, when you look last year, there were still a lot of VC investments happening in crypto, but mainly a lot of it actually were going to crypto infrastructure plays. Uh, and now I expect in 2024, a lot of these, you know, I call them the non-sexy infrastructure players, uh, really to get a lot of attention. Uh, many of them will get acquired. Uh, and this really goes from across the, the board, from fund administrators and compliance providers to crypto insurance to fiat on our ramps. There's a lot of activity in the space. Custodians, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of these players come in Again, if you're a bank in the space, you're a big uh, asset manager, you're going to need to go through your buy you know, partner or build a strategy on that side. Um, and a couple other things I'm really watching. Uh, one of them is really uh, when it comes to stable coins. I think many people who are not in crypto do not appreciate how much stable coin activity takes place every day. I mean, today, just to put things in perspective, the supply of stable coins is over 130 billion. Um, today, if you look at the majority of trading pairs in crypto, uh, it's using stable coins. I mean, Tether alone is over 70% of trading pairs uh, when it comes to uh, uh, trading. And in many parts of the world, like I mentioned, uh, stable coins are basically being used on a daily. I mean, yesterday I had to talk to somebody in Armenia to create a website, and her preferred me method of payment was stable coins. She's like, please do not. I don't want to get a Venmo. I don't want to get a PayPal. Please, stable coins. And this is something we're seeing more and more. Uh, and, you know, I think for even people doing remittances and sending money around the world, uh, this is something we're seeing. So I think I expect to see more activity in that space alone. And also, I would say some technical elements as well. Um, you know, one, one of them is called it's, it's literally privacy and payments. Today, ironically, again, this comes to the the public relation or marketing branding image of crypto has that I mentioned earlier. People think crypto, and often you think about nefarious activities. You think about bad actors. Uh, the reality is actually today, uh, the crypto is, if you're a criminal and you're using Bitcoin, I mean, you're an idiot uh, because the traceability tools are so good right now in the market uh, that they can easily, I mean, the, the, the crypto has become incredibly traceable. Uh, and this is why when you work with law enforcement or other um, investigative bodies, they love crypto transactions because they can trace them. Uh, and I think this is why, when, this, I, I, would, I would argue that's one of the flaws of crypto, that I expect to see more activity on the developer side when it comes to privacy and payments, uh, really to try to come up with ways to provide more privacy in, in crypto payments. Uh, uh, you know, and there's there various technological innovations that have taken place, uh, you know, from zero knowledge proofs uh, to other, uh, you know, solutions we're coming up with, you know, uh, in the space. Uh, so I think uh, I'm very, very excited about the year ahead uh, on, that, on that side. And as you mentioned, the the uh, ETF is expected to help uh, remove friction and, and allow a new or a wider group of investors to, to come into the space. The other uh, innovation in that trend is tokenization. And that's, again, something that's gained quite a lot of traction over the, the last year, at least. Can you just talk a little bit about whether you see this as uh, another trend that's going to develop and, and, and potentially even come forward a bit faster than we might have predicted, given the recent bull run? You know, uh, so tokenization obviously is back on top of the agenda again for, you know, especially what what a lot of people in crypto will refer to as RWA, so real world asset tokenization. 
Uh, and there's been obviously a lot of talk about it. Um, you know, first of all, I think it's important to understand this is not the first hype cycle we've had on tokenization. You know, I, there's even, I've been wrong on tokenization many times. I've been on TV numerous times saying I was, I believe 2019, 20 would be the year of tokenization. And I was obviously wrong on there. Uh, but what's interesting this year is we, we're seeing a lot of push from regulators and policymakers when it comes to tokenization. A very good example is uh, Hong Kong, where they've been trying to position themselves as a global hub of tokenization, trying to provide regulatory clarity. Uh, same thing goes for Europe. They've been trying to provide clarity on it and other jurisdictions as well. Uh, and a lot of institutional investors as well have been entering the space. Uh, so why I remain very optimistic on tokenization is because there's definite need uh, of tokenizing real world assets. Very good example is real estate. I know it sounds very stupid, uh, but now the only way you can kind of tokenize real estate is via REITs. But again, REITs are very, there's only certain assets you can tokenize. It's very um, uh, also costly as well. Uh, and you know, if you think about the general public, uh, let's look Hong Kong as an example, or Dubai or London or New York, you know, the average worker in Hong Kong, for example, could not enter the real estate market. It's impossible. Right, because they don't have, they're not able to save for that down payment amount uh, that is significantly because of price of real estate are very high. Now, if you could tokenize real estate, and every year I can maybe I cannot buy, I cannot put my down payment of thirty percent of a house, but I can buy one ten thousandth of a piece of real estate asset and at least get exposure to the asset class. And I think that's something where, where, where that's why one of the reasons there's a lot of excitement around tokenization, uh, and I expect this to continue. However. I think the one thing we need to understand it it's going to take longer uh, because right now, despite all this uh, clarity, many of these tokenized projects can only be offered to accredited, professional, or sophisticated investors, uh, which is one hurdle right now. And in many cases, if you're offering, you're tokenizing your asset and you're you're putting on a platform, for example, there needs to be quite a lot, a lot of level of transparency that is provided. And I think for a lot of issuers as well, that's one of the challenges they have. But So definitely very uh, positive on tokenization. Uh, is this going to happen very quickly? No. But are, are we in the right direction? 100%. Now, Henry, we, we both know that you and I could talk about this uh, all day, and we have done on a few occasions. But unfortunately, I do have to give way at this point because uh, in a few episodes now, uh, li listeners won't know this, but we've walked out the studio and our producer, Katerina, has asked an extremely pertinent question that Tom and I uh, forgot to uh, or didn't think to put to our guests. And so you've kindly agreed to be our, our guinea pig here sure. and uh, uh, allow our producer, Katerina, to, to come in with a question that maybe didn't occur to us. So, uh, Katerina, it is great to have you in on the long short. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to ask my question. And thank you, Henry, for this conversation. It's been fascinating to listen. And I, I don't know enough about any of this. So for me to have the privilege to listen to people like you talking and explaining to someone like me who doesn't really know anything about this world is is. So it's incredible. So thank you. My question is for you, how could AI alter the trajectory of crypto? What do you think will happen? Amazing question. First of all, Katrina, I think anybody uh, who tells you they're an expert in crypto, you got to run away because obviously this industry is moving so fast, it's impossible to know anything what's happening there. Uh, when it comes to AI, it's obviously a very, very interesting topic, uh, you know, on, on the broader digital asset space. Uh, actually, my book, my, my last book was called the, the, the Book of Crypto, but the one before uh, called The Future of Finance. Uh, really, the title was how uh, a fintech uh, uh, crypto and AI together are changing the future of finance. Uh, and I think it's been very interesting to see the developments taking place in the AI space. Uh, you know, and I, I, actually there's a lot of parallels with the crypto world. Uh, I expect to see obviously a lot of excitement on AI. And I think there's a lot of parallels with the crypto space uh, on that perspective. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One of them, uh, when it comes to uh, miners, for example, let's look at a very simple example. I expect to see a lot of the Bitcoin miners, for example, uh, start migrating to providing, um, uh, let's say, my, mining is not the right term, but it's a capacity for all these la large language models, the LLMs that you're using AI to train them, for example, because actually it's the same me mechanism, it's NVIDIA machines you need, and it's actually it's, it's different kind of data centers, but it's the same logic I think we're going to see on, on that perspective. So I actually see uh, one um, interesting uh, area of convergence will be between some of these miners, 
uh, and actually uh, them getting into the AI space. Second is actually on the broader data sets that we have in in, uh, in, in crypto. There's been numerous projects over the years uh, where people have been trying to actually um, decentralize, use decentralization uh, to feed some of these AI uh, protocols and ecosystems. There's been numerous projects, especially uh, two, three years ago, that are now getting more attention. Uh, you know, so how are we able to to uh, not only store the data that we're using, but also be able to uh, incentivize people who are providing data to these different, um, you know, LLMs and learning mechanisms and, and the likes. So I think there's a lot of a lot of activity there. And number three, I think it's going to be around the pricing. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, I talk about this in my uh, in, in my book, The Future of Finance. But I genuinely believe that in a couple of years, you know, um, you know, let's say I let's look at my fridge for example. You know, I'll be eating. Let's say I eat two eggs a day. I'd be taking two eggs a day every day from my fridge. My fridge knows that I'm eating two eggs a day. Automatically, we will be scanning the market to get buy its automatically order its own eggs, by the way, and looking at the pricing of the market, finding out when is the best time to buy it. We'll automatically order it. Uh, those payments will happen in crypto behind the scenes. Uh, you know, and those transactions will take place. Uh, but also then there's a lot of the, uh, this whole, uh, a lot of smart contracts will be used as well when these transactions are taking place. And all of this is only possible when you have the combination of crypto and AI that come together. Uh, you know, I always give the example of, uh, imagine I have a self-driving car that I own. I come in whenever I'm not using it, this car should be self-driving and doing Ubering if you want to other people. And, you know, uh, getting paid automatically using smart contracts, you know, and even let's say I mortgage my car, I finance my car, it should be looking for the best financing rates that it's finding. And the, when it's optimized, it immediately start doing these transactions. So I think there's a lot of these things that will happen uh, as we're moving to an era where we're going to conduct financial transactions um, without even behind the scenes that you're not even going to notice. Uh, and I think that's only going to be possible when you have the combination of uh, AI and crypto. And by that, for that, we're also going to need new models. A very good example of this is uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. Today, if the you know all of us on the call, Tom, uh, Drew, and your safe cat, cat, we want to set up a company, you know, we'd go incorporate a company at a company's house or wherever, wherever you'd use it around the world. You know, there'll be a board of directors, there'll be articles of association, they'll be written in good old English. Uh, right now, for a lot of these decentralized companies of the future. You need new models. You know, uh, this is why I think decentralized autonomous organizations come into play, where literally uh, I'm able to have uh, my articles of association written in code, right? And now you're seeing countries looking at innovating the space. You know, now you can set up such companies in Wyoming, for example. The Marshall Islands tried to work. Uh, the UAE, by the way, is looking very actively and enabling you to incorporate companies in a decentralized autonomous organization. This is exactly what happened in the in the UK in the 19th century when we invented, you know, the the moral the moral person, a company limited by share, a company limited by, you know, guarantee, where I can, you know, like where Tom and I can set up a company but we have no personal liability and that really revolutionized capitalism and finance. And I think now we're about to see the same thing in the crypto space, but that is that and that is enabling a whole new world, so new world of AI innovation, DeFi innovation, um, you know, uh, and all these things together. So there's, a, I'm very very excited about the future of finance, very excited about the future of money, uh, and all these changes coming in uh, of the broader Web three ecosystem, which includes obviously fintech, big data, crypto, metaverses, DeFi, all of this together. It's a one plus one equal three relationship, and that's super exciting. Yeah, the digital asset space never but fails to fascinate us. There's, as you say, Drew and Henry, a week is a long time in this industry. Um, but it would be remiss, remiss of, of us, Henry, to not ask, you know, what are your plans for this year? And I'm thinking specifically about the plans of, of nine blocks. So maybe we can close the show with your thoughts as to what you're doing for the year ahead. Yeah, I mean, for uh, nine blocks, you know, obviously we're proud AMA members, uh, and obviously our goal of the last year was really continue to institutionalize a business. Uh, you know, we just crossed a hundred million dollar of asset mark. We just became the first one to get a license with Vara, and, and really the goal ahead for us is continue really institutionalizing the business and continue building, uh, you know, the tier one crypto hedge fund, not only on the investment side but also on the non-investment side as well. 
uh, and to enable institutional allocators to get access to digital assets, uh, you know, the, with people that are, that are crypto natives, but also that actually abide by the latest best practices of regulation, governance, governance, and and so on and so forth. So I think that's what it is at the from a nine blocks perspective. And also, uh, being any good players in the ecosystem, we're continuing really to uh, try to do as much education as we can, uh, spend time with the market participants in improving uh, the industry. You know, one thing that I find very um, unique in the crypto space compared, I would even say to the traditional hedge fund space, is the level of collaboration and sharing that takes place. You know, I think in the crypto space, because we're so early days, uh, it's one of the industries what I love is people come, collaborate, uh, try to work work together. And, you know, um, my message always is if somebody was in crypto in 2023 in the, in the bottom of the bear market, they're going to be in this industry for the next 10, 15 years. Uh, and I think so it's been very, um, you know, when you're in these uh, moments where, I mean, literally people almost think you're a criminal almost, you know, uh, because you're in the crypto, because you're in crypto. Uh, really, I think the level of uh, collaboration, partnership, solidarity, and genuine innovation that we saw in the industry has been remarkable. And I remain very bullish for the future of the crypto hedge fund industry. I remain very bullish for the future of the crypto asset management industry. Uh, and I think that uh, the 2022, 2024 uh, will be a pivotal year uh, when it comes to the um not only the entry of institutional players, but also institutional allocations uh, to the space, uh, and I think it's a very, it's a very excited to see this. And I really, I really mean this that I really think we are privileged to see this. You know, uh, it's, I think I don't think uh, you know I was very fortunate to see the rise of Asia 15 years ago. Before that, there was a whole generation that saw the rise of derivatives, for example, the rise of creation of hedge funds. I think um, I'm very fortunate. I tell everybody that uh, we have not only the chance to see. Uh, the rise of digital assets, but also have a role in shaping it. And I think that's a, that's a privilege uh, when it comes to the history of money and the future of money. And, and by the way, I just want to thank Ema as well, because I think on behalf of the crypto industry and the crypto hedge fund managers, uh, I cannot emphasize enough uh, the role that Ema played. You know, it could have been very easy for Ema to take a step back, say, ah, you know, it's $4 trillion in assets in traditional hedge funds. Who are you guys? What is this crypto industry? I have to say that, uh, you know, Ema was a pioneer in setting up the digital assets working group. Ema was a pioneer in, in partnering with PwC on the crypto hedge fund report. Uh, Ema was a pioneer in having individuals like yourselves uh, really follow the space. And in the fact that actually somebody like me, you have the, the I'm invited on the show to talk about the asset class, where whereas there's so many things you can talk about, shows you about, uh, I think, and really goes to a big credit, I think a big thank you on behalf of not only the crypto hedge fund industry, but also I would say the broader industry, because uh, you guys at least were providing some spotlight and create trying to create more education and awareness on this nascent asset class when you could have easily look the other way, take the comfortable road and focus on the, the things you know and you guys did this. So thank you very much on behalf of uh, of all the innovators out there. Well, Henry, I mean, that was uh, a fascinating conversation as always. And and I'm, I'm going to have to go and listen to back to that again just to, to make sure I've picked up on all the nuggets there. But I, I do have to say, the image of a of a smart fridge, an AI enabled smart fridge with its own crypto wallet that can be arbitraging eggs and milk for me. It, it sort of reminds me of that Warren Buffett quote about getting making sure your your money works for you while you sleep, and and that being the ultimate goal. So um, so thank and you. And even for that telling alone. you Drew that uh, you're eating too many eggs, and you know saying you gotta <laughs> watch it, and even rewarding you when you're eating less, for example. And this is not. Uh, it's not very far far fetched, and we're seeing already a lot of these smart fridges. I mean, the fridge is, is a very stupid example, but uh, smart fridge is obviously the, the, the reality in many parts of the world. And uh, the combination of how you're going to be able to use DeFi smart contracts with them, uh, with big data, and using IoT, all these things together come in. I think this is one thing as well in crypto. Well, we often look in silos, but it's really one plus one equal three. We have to keep the bigger image uh, in mind of what's happening in the broader uh, fintech and uh, space as well. No, that was, that was excellent. And I say it's exactly the sort of thing that I I would expect from a conversation with you. So thank you so much uh, for joining us again on The Long Short. I'm sure we'll Thanks have you back me. soon. It was a pleasure. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.